Welcome to Men in This Town, the podcast. I'm Giuseppe Santamaria, and for over a decade, I've been photographing men's street style in various towns around the world, looking for those whose dress sense speak volumes about who they are. In this podcast, I take a closer look at those men by bringing them into the studio for a portrait and having a chat about their particular approach to the many facets of life. In this episode, I welcome Baden Hitchcock to the studio, a dancer with the Bangara Dance Theatre, whose creative upbringing, thanks to his mother's loving encouragement, presented him with opportunities that have brought him around the world. With family in Papua New Guinea and the Torres Strait Islands, music, singing, and dancing are second nature, making it a wonder to his family how he made it into a living. We chat about growing up with these strong women in his life, his teenage wardrobe that consisted of homemade garments and hand-me-downs inherited by his Russian violin teacher's dead husband, and how all this made him the man he is today. Head over to meninthistown.com to view selects from our portrait session. And in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the conversation that took place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll claim that. (laughs) All right, so we'll start the interview off with um, just kind of introducing yourself, your name, age, and what you do for a living. Um, my name is Baden Hitchcock, and I am 27 years old, and I work as a dancer with Bangara Dance Theatre. Have you always danced as a kid? How did you kind of end up becoming a dancer? I mean, it's it's one of the professions that I admire so much, is yeah. just kind of dancing and being able to move your body the way that you do. Where did that come from? Uh, I didn't dance that much as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, all my sisters did, and... But we all did music. Uh, we were a really musical family. And it wasn't really until I went to Newtown Performing Arts High School. Okay. Um, in Year 7 there, it's compulsory to do, um, you know, dance, music, drama, visual arts, all in Year 7 and 8, which is really great because then you get the taste for all these mm. um, different styles and genres that you wouldn't usually choose to do. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so I played violin and sung and, like, all of my sisters. So I've come from a big family. I have five older sisters. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> five older sisters. Is, that's yeah. That would have been something amazing to kind of grow up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I love big families. Yeah. If I, if, when I have a family, I want a big family. Yeah. <laughs> I think there is something in that. I have I come with my immediate family is five people, but then I have a lot of extended family. And it's always been kind of yeah. people around all the time. There's something great about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I picked up dance in high school and really enjoyed it and then decided to go down that path, I think, because it incorporated music so much, uh, like the musicality of the body and how you move through space and how you hold yourself. So I didn't feel like I was leaving music behind or anything like this. So that's something to kind of go to a dedicated art school because it, it opens you up to kind of things that maybe you maybe wouldn't have been interested in, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's fascinating. What other interests did you have when you were a kid? What kind of, how did you explore your creativity? Um, well, I feel like I had a pretty busy childhood. So because mum grew up in a village called Ihu, which is in the Gulf province of Papua New Guinea. Okay, right. Um, it's like village, village, like mm. very small. <laughs> um like the stories of her growing up have, I guess, inspired me a lot now as an adult in how I live my life and the stories I try to tell. Mm. Uh, but I think because of that, mum didn't have as much opportunities growing up in terms of, you know, the arts or yeah. education or, you know, those those sorts of avenues. So then 
yeah, mum was a big, our mum was a big pusher for all of us, you know, music class. Like, you know, I woke up at every Sunday at 7.30 to go to my violin lesson and then went to music school on Saturdays and oh, then um, <laughs> did drumming. And then like when I got into Newtown, it was like, you have to audition for drama. You have to do this. Like she always instilled in us that uh, we can do anything as long as we put our mind to it. Mm. And she was also, uh, not the stereotype, but we always uh, said that my mom was like an Asian mom because, mm. you know, if we got 90% on the test, she'd be like, where'd the other 10% go? <laughs> this is because you were watching that TV show, like, you know. <laughs> you got to appreciate that now, but did you appreciate it then? No, I feel like <laughs> I despised both of my parents until I was about 18, yeah, yeah. you know, until I was in uni and understood the world and life more. I'll, now I, you know, I appreciate and love what my parents did for me yeah. and the opportunities they gave me. And I feel like if I had kids, I'd raise them exactly the same, yeah, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll be like, okay, you can hate me for the first 18 years of your life. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be worth it though. In the end, yeah. It's like, you need those parents to push. It's, and it's, pushing you in various directions so you could explore and experiment and try new things. And that's how you find what you like, I think, in the end. Yeah. yeah what, is, what do they do themselves? Do they do anything kind of on the creative spectrum or? Um, well, all of my family over in PNG, they're all very creative by nature, I would yeah, say. Yeah. Like everyone sings. Like whenever I, when I've gone back to home to um, Hanobada, which is like the village in Port Moresby, because uh, we're part of the traditional owners of Port Moresby, Everyone sings and they like all sing beautifully mm. and they all play instruments and it's always very natural. Like it's just a, like almost like a part of life. And you can hear it when like my mum speaks Motu, which is the language over there. Motu. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's a very sing-song language, mm. like in terms of how it flows and um, yeah, the intonation of it. So yeah, mum, mum's a great singer and she's, I always feel like there's a blurring line between cooking and uh, art. Like mm. I feel like cooking is an art. Oh yeah, in a way. I'd say so. Um, and my mom's like a great chef, and like you know, she's she's the type of cook that will cook like the biggest feeds. Like there, there's a, uh, there's only three of us in the house now, but she still cooks for fifteen. Of course. You know, because we would always have cousins that <laughs> yeah, would yeah. come down and stay with us, or aunties. You know, so she's always cooking <laughs> the biggest feed. Um, and I, yeah, my dad, I guess, is less, yeah, I haven't seen him. He, I feel like he gave me the logical side of my brain mm. um, when I feel like mum gave me more the art side of my yeah. brain. <laughs> Good two to have, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you able to, were you visiting back home much at all when you were younger or now? Um, I feel like more recently, mm. growing up, I feel like we didn't financially we couldn't go back up to mm -hmm. the, so my family's here from the Torres Straits, from Saibai Island. And then my bubu, my grandma was born in Mabuduan, which is the village over on the mainland of PNG. And then my mum was born in Kikori, which is a village in the Gulf province. So, they were, and then my sister was born in Port Moresby. So they were all up there. And by the time I was born, cause I'm the last of six, mm -hmm. they had moved down to Sydney. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, PNGs can be a bit dangerous and mm. I think mum was really hesitant to send us back over. But now me as an adult and especially um, the privilege of like being in the arts and growing up in the city, I feel like there's been a shift in the arts community where you really celebrate identity and where you come from. Mm. 
So, uh, yeah, I've had opportunities to go back to Saibai and visit the family and go back to Hanobada and visit the family. And I didn't realise how big a deal it would be until I went back. So, yeah, when I went back to Hanobada, which was a couple of years ago, maybe like five years ago for Christmas, um, like the family was like crying because I was the first of my bubu, bubu ganiga, to come back mm. to the village um, from Australia, like out of like my generation in yeah. Australia of all my mum's brothers and sisters and their kids that will live over here because mum's one of nine. Yeah, right. So, you know, next big family. And, you know, yeah. I have a big family. This is <laughs> my family. My dad is like, yeah, I think there's nine children as well. It's crazy how big they were back then. <laughs> yeah. Like growing up, we definitely did trips up north to like Brisbane. Like we always went, went and visited our cousins and mm. aunties and uncles and stuff. But yeah, I had never been back to where mum sort of grew up. And I didn't tell her I was going back either. Right. <laughs> so we went to... Um, uh, one of uh, a family's funeral in Canberra and I met lots of the PNG community down there and one of my uncles was going back to Port Moresby at the end of that year. Right. And I was like, he was like, oh, you should come. And I was like, yeah, I should. Mm. <laughs> and then mum heard about it and she was like, no, you're not going. Like she was scared for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, especially because I'm fair-skinned and uh, in Hanobada, you know, I'm, I was the only fair-skinned person walking around anywhere, you know. Uh but as soon as I got there and then, you know, everyone found out who I was and who I belonged to mm. sort of thing. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty amazing experience. And now my mum's like has done a complete flick switch. She's convinced herself that she never said that Can I shouldn't I have gone. <laughs> she was like, I never said that. But <laughs> oh, they're just looking up for your safety. And now it? she's talking to my sisters being like, why haven't you guys gone no. back over? <laughs> Maybe. Did you feel a, a connection being there? Because I know, like, um, I'm first generation uh, Canadian. My family was all from Italy. And it's, um, I know when I went there by myself for the first time, I went a lot as a kid. But when I went as an adult, I felt a weird connection there of like, oh, my God, like, these are kind of where, you know, my ancestry is from. It's it's There is a weird energy there that you just that I felt. Did you kind of feel that with yourself? Yeah, yeah, mm. I definitely felt that, especially because growing up, mum mom didn't teach us language, but she was always speaking it to her siblings. Mm. Um, so we grew up listening to Motu and uh, grew up listening to different songs. And so hearing that in the context of where it's from mm. was pretty special. And that, like, I feel like because we we're in Sydney, like, because I grew up in Sydney, mum doing that all that stuff and how she raised us and the food we ate always made us different. Mm. Uh, but then over there, I was just like, oh, it is funny that way. It's like even just in relation, it's just like with Italian food always being so kind of over the top. And it's, it's like, yeah, not my friends didn't eat this way as well. I had the mortadella sandwich for lunch every day and everyone yeah. else had like, you know, <laughs> The caker food. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, so kind of when you were in school, kind of, you know, trying to discover yourself through your creativity, what was fashion like for you? What did, was that something that you took note of? Did you experiment with it? Your yeah. style right now is fantastic. How would you describe it right now? Oh, right your now. Style, yeah. um, well, my the shorts I'm wearing, uh, my mom made. So she made, yeah. Yeah, so my mom's a typical island mom, like in the community. 
a lot of the bubbles and aunties all make clothes for everyone. Mm. And I feel like growing up, that was a big thing. Like my, my nan, so my dad's mum and mum uh, definitely made a lot of clothes for us growing up. Oh, wow. uh, to the point where like uh, we would be walking around and we'd all be in like matching sort of drapery outfits, <laughs> like thinking like one trap family <laughs> style. And people would always ask it. if we're from the a home, like we're from looking like, especially because mum's a lot darker than us, I, or they always ask me if I was adopted. Yeah. <laughs> and they always ask my sisters who were all in the same matching outfits but different ages if, you know, they were How from an orphanage or something. How cute would that be, though? <laughs> like, uh, just see a family all dressed together is just, that's yeah. precious. <laughs> so I feel like a lot of my, like that very early childhood was that. And now as an adult, I'm... Wanting that again, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I, because I buy fabric when we go touring with Bangara, I try and buy fabrics um, from other indigenous communities because I feel like fabric is a really amazing way to tell stories mm. of and like, you know, have art on uh, a different way of having it on the body rather than like tattoos or marks, which I feel like is more traditional mm. in my culture. And it's a way you change it up and kind of have fun with it. Yeah. Do you do like having fun with fashion, it seems? Yeah, oh, but then um, I feel like now in high school I was ma- made fun of for what I wore. Purely, be- I feel like um, a lot of my clothes was hand-me-downs. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, pretty much. But if it wasn't made from mom, mom or nan, it was all hand-me-downs. And a lot of my hand-me-downs in high school were from, this will sound weird, <laughs> <laughs> was from my violin teacher's dead husband. <laughs> <laughs> That, that is a style story right there. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> My violin teacher, her name was Miss Krell. She was a um, this Russian, small Russian woman that used to make me cry. And in a good uh, way or a bad way? In the bad way. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, that's sort of like, you didn't practice enough. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I suppose I, was around, I grew up a lot, around a lot of strong women that, mm. I guess, pushed me and pounded me in certain ways. Mm. But, yeah, so her um, husband passed away and uh, they were, I would say, a more well-off family and they, she was going to chuck out all the clothes of, like, I know those, like, Italian jackets and all this yeah, other stuff. Yeah, um, but they were like old man clothes and right. they also didn't fit me. <laughs> so then I started. It could be a good thing, but not. <laughs> yeah. So then I, um, so then they gave, uh, Miss Carol gave it to our family and then I was wearing them. So I was like always wearing like old man sandals and socks with like a, a weird, I don't know, European shirt or something. So I was always, people always thought I dressed like a tourist or something. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Do you still have any pieces? Uh, yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, yeah. I definitely do. Um, Anything that you did like? Um, <laughs> no, there's lots of things I did like. And yeah. I feel like sometimes I still wear that style or that sort of stuff and I embrace it a lot more now. Yeah. I was made fun of it. but And then I was like, yeah, that's not pretty uncool. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I feel like I've found my way back to that yeah in a way <laughs> it's a nice way kind of to have such an original kind of style because you do your own thing with it and it's like it's worn one way but how do you do it and kind of completely make it your own you know that's kind yeah. of fun i like that yeah and yeah i love wearing uh clothes that help tell a story or represent something to you so like my uh this piece of jewelry my bubble made um it's just from like gut line fishing and beads mm. 
and then this is my auntie made, and it's a lagatoy, which is like a ship, and then on a turtle shell. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in terms of what I was talking about before with like fabrics and mum creating, yeah, how how can what you wear help tell a story or represent some sort of mm. part of a Australia or Papua New Guinea because they're both such rich countries. Like yeah. we're living in such a rich cultural country. Yeah, it's also a kind of it represents. I don't know, from my point of view, a dancer and kind of being a little bit looser clothing and kind of relaxed kind of state, yeah. you can move in it, you know? Does that kind of play into it of kind of what you do for a living? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I feel like I'm pretty polar opposites that I'm either, I like really baggy stuff or I like crop top, like real tight and, you know, tight booty shorts yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I go love, one way or the other. Yeah, but <laughs> both dancer type of ways of dressing in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What, so what after school, Newtown, uh, you went to school, it was a, an art school. Where did you kind of go from there? Did you go into more studying into the dance? and? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, year 12 came and then, yeah, I was at that edge where I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do because there was so much I wanted to do. Like I, I wasn't sure if I could, should continue doing music and play violin I wasn't sure. I got early entry into a biomedicine course in Melbourne Uni and I was like, oh, well, because uh, my grandpa, I had a lot of older relatives that had been in like a doctor's or that medical scene and mm. I feel like that's a really valid profession, in ter- especially in terms of helping community back home and I feel like that's somewhere I w- will want to go later. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and then I was like, oh, but maybe I should go down this dance pathway because... I don't know, you're limited by like age and body and all these other things. And I feel like uh, dance and especially going more into learning more about traditional dance now, it really encompasses all the arts. Like it's not just dance. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I moved to another funny story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so I actually auditioned for, you know, just the university. I, I really wanted a university degree because – we, uh, my generation in my family is the first ones to ever really get university degrees because, mm. you know, my mum and them didn't have that opportunity. So I really wanted a university degree. So I auditioned for Whopper and QT and VCA, all of them. And I ended up going to VCA and I, I auditioned without telling my mum because <laughs> she didn't really want me to leave Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, so then I applied for a scholarship and I got like an academic scholarship to live down there. I set everything up. And Without then, your mom knowing. <laughs> and then I was just like, um, so I told my parents, I was like, oh, I actually have gotten into this university. You don't need to pay anything because I knew we couldn't afford it. I was like, all I really need help with is to move down there. Like, can you help? Can we drive down or something like this? Um, yeah. So you took it right into your own hands. I mean, is that something you always did to kind of? Yeah. It's like you kind of just take the steering wheel and kind of go with it. <laughs> I feel like I'm pretty independent. Like yeah. growing up, I was always the one that my sisters say, like we wanted to go somewhere or my sisters would always be like, Baden, you have to ask. Or they would make me go up and talk to random strangers, you know. <laughs> my other sister was like, oh, you have to go ask that man, like if we can push in line here yeah. or something like this. So I think that kind of. I Sounds like a lot of the girls I grew up with. <laughs> <laughs> Take advantage of the little boy and do, <laughs> yeah, do yeah. your dirty work. I love that. So yeah. kind of from there, you studied for how many years? I studied, I did a Bachelor of Fine Arts at VCA. Um, and I was in Melbourne for roughly four, f- five years. 
four, four, five years. So I did my BFA and I worked in the independent dance scene, which is really amazing. Like I love the independent freelancing scene because there's so much variety and you meet so many amazing people. And yeah, I was doing some really cool work with Maria Randall and Jacob Bow and some other Indigenous artists in Melbourne mm. and went over to Europe for a bit and oh, wow. uh, went to, was doing a residency in France um, at Limoges, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then was in uh, Brussels for a bit uh, doing some summer school a summer school program at parts and yeah. went over to Berlin just you know saw a bit of the world a bit Amazing. and then came back like my family back home in PNG like when I say like oh I work with a dance company mm. um, they can't they don't really understand that I'm getting paid to dance. They're right. like, oh, that's your job? Well, like, what else do you do? Like, you know? Because just dancing, <laughs> singing is just a natural part. Yeah, isn't it? because... Just, yeah. You're talking, so you get paid to talk type of thing, you know? Exactly. Um, and especially over there because it's so, like, tradition is really still strong. And, mm. yeah, they, 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 I still don't... Until they come to a performance, I still... I feel like they won't completely understand. Yeah. <laughs> and in your travels, any place that kind of really stood out to you that you were kind of smitten with um well going we did a return the country to ti thursday island which was really special because that was my first time going to the torres straits and i met family and when you do performance like community performances are always great because they're not in a theater and i prefer performing on the in the outside or on the basketball court or Mm. you know these sorts of things and like we'll set up lights and speakers and then just like the whole community comes down and that sort of Western etiquette of sitting there being quiet um, or facing forward, that sort of thing is broken mm. and there's just, like, kids running around. Maybe there's, a, like, when we're performing up at uh, Boy, like a dog was walking across the stage, which is really cool because in that part of the story we're actually, well, I was being a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, hey, brother. No. <laughs> you had a real dog come by. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. You don't get that in kind of more of these Western kind of theaters yeah. that you would dance in. What are you? It's something yeah. that is just presented in a different way. And then in terms of international tours, we did one tour where we went to India and Japan. Oh, wow. Uh, and that was really special. Like my group went to central India and we did, because whenever we go traveling overseas, we always do a cultural exchange with the First Nations communities there. Mm. And uh yeah, we did an exchange with the Beggar people who are these forest dwellers in central India. And they still live a really traditional way of life. And I felt like there was quite a strong connection there because, like, all the women are completely marked over their whole face and mm. body. And they all, and we learned some of their traditional dances and we taught some of our traditional dances. And one of the beauties of dance is that they couldn't speak English, they couldn't even speak Hindi, they spoke their own Beganese language. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it can really cross cultural barriers like that. Like we were teaching workshops with them for like we spent nearly a week with them and I still felt like I got to know them about who they are and where they come from or through like movement and body and dance and how they would approach what we gave them and what they had to offer. And, yeah, they kept trying to marry us up into the village. And, mm, and really? Know, <laughs> in a way. That is life experiences. Like that, is this through Bangara? Yeah, so this yeah. is a Bengara tour. Unreal. And then, yeah, I also felt like there was a connection there because, like, the women back home in PNG, more the women, men sometimes got it, but um, they got marked 
And I feel like that is really interesting in terms of like uh, fashion and identity and this right. sort of stuff because traditionally uh, the women would just wear like grass skirts and then they'd have their whole body marked. So it's like in, in ink or what yeah, kind of in ink? Yeah, in I- like a, tat- a tattoo, yeah, yeah. Um, a permanent tattoo. So and that was to do with uh, different uh, initiations or. Uh, ceremonies or parts of a woman's life mm. or to do with beauty and yeah like how those beauty standards uh have shifted because like my bubble was marked so my grandma was marked but then because she married a white my grandpa a white guy and then now my mum she doesn't have any marks and mm. she actually has quite a stigma towards tattoos and stuff like this too but what was her impression of it you think uh i think uh, my grandpa was just like, oh, no, Cynthia, my mum shouldn't be marked because she'll have to go to Australia and get a job and, you know, she won't be as... Which is true. It's very valid, I feel like, what he was saying. Like, she mm. won't be able to work in the community as well if she's marked traditionally how uh, the other women are. And I think it was also quite a shift uh, because mum was, like, first-generation sort of half-caste in PNG. Like, there was no other half black, half white people anywhere around there. And it was, mm. you know, just before PNG gained independence from Australia. And, um, yeah, so it was, there was a lot of shifts in terms of, like, colonisation and then, like, uh, rights and yeah, yeah. all these things coming through. Was storytelling a big thing in your family and kind of making sure that these stories were told when yeah. you were younger? Yeah, it, it was. I feel like my uncles always told stero- stories to scare me or to <laughs> make me laugh. Um, and, uh, I feel like mom's better now, but you know, I feel like sometimes with parents, they won't tell you the story and then they'll have, we'll have some random friend over a stranger in the house and the mom starts telling this person their family story, you know, <laughs> you know, and, the, and then I'm sitting next to it. I'm like, why have I never heard this story in this, you know, yeah. random Tom coming into the house gets to hear this story of like, because mom, I, I it's actually something I really want to do is create a book of um, my mother's stories be, and I want to tailor it in terms of like a cooking book because oh, I feel yeah. like food nice. is so important to us. And, yeah, it starts with – and especially with uh, – I'm sure this would be the same in your family, but it's, when mum cooks, she never, like, measures anything. Mm. And when you're like, oh, when she makes something good, you're like, oh, mum, how do you make this? And then she's like, oh, you just chuck these things in. And I'm like, how much am I supposed to put in? And I think purposely said like that because they don't want you to know. <laughs> so it's like they're the ones that have the power of the food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how it is in my family, at least. <laughs> well, I want to try and create the cooking book like that. And then it goes into a story. Because there were always, like, crazy stories of, like, I don't know, like, tribal wars happening out the front of their house of, like, people just killing each other or, like, mum falling into the river where there was just, like, infested with saltwater crocodiles in the dark. Oh, God. Like, all these crazy experiences. Those are um, stories to be told and shared. Yeah. That's definitely something. Yeah. It's – you can't underestimate the power of storytelling and kind of know what somebody's experience is like because everyone can kind of relate to a little something, you know, and that's what I love about these conversations. It's like, it's fascinating to see what somebody's life is like and how you can relate to it in a lot of ways. Yeah. And especially for, um, literature, uh, literature in first nations communities and Mm. just like, you know, PNG has over 800 languages Mm. and how many, like 
hardly any of them are documented. Like there's not one course in Sydney that you can do that's learning even the main language of like Tokpisin or Motu, yeah. you know. Uh, I feel like, yeah, there's such a absence, huge absence of uh, archiving and around First Nations. Have you come across Australia. anything that's attempting that at all? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely there's, – and then there's some really strong – PNG women that are, you know, paving ways and mm. stuff like this. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not – I don't think there is a solution. Well, not short-term solution. No, right. But, yeah. I think I it's – the, the, the little solution is just making sure family talk to each other and making sure those stories at least live on for generations. Yeah. And then hopefully there is a way to actually document that. Yeah, especially, like, I feel like there's been a lot of – scare because the COVID scene in PNG is like pretty intense. Mm. Um, like I know quite a few people that have died over there from it, really? like, you know, the younger people. And I think my immediate family is all right, but it's just like a whole big, that older generation of bubbles, like when they're lost, they're lost. And if mm. they haven't passed on their story, then, you know, traditions just die. Um, I think that's that thing of those – petty family arguments and things that kind of happen in all families is like you can't let things kind of block two people together in a family. You have to kind of be able to stay open with each other and yeah. share these things yeah. or else stories get lost, yeah. which is tragic. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> you also kind of have got into choreography and teaching and workshops, which is, I guess, more storytelling in a lot of ways. What inspired you to kind of get into that as well? Um, yeah, teaching workshops is definitely one of my favourite things mm. to do, especially to young kids, uh, to like primary school age kids, because there's just, they already have that energy and all you have to do is channel it in the mm. right way and you can create something amazing and they're always, yeah, curious and interested and... Uh, and, yeah, it's just that passing on of, you know, you need to give something to the next generation. What's it like to be you right now? What's your mindset at the moment? Uh, right now, I'm feeling pretty great. Like, mm -hmm. we just had an on-country trip to the Kimberleys. And it's, yeah, it's, I love going up north because it's beautiful and warm. We're swimming in the Fitzroy River with, like, freshwater crocodiles on the other side and we're learning some dances from the elders, the Wamadari elders out there, mm. um, which is really special. It's always special to, especially, especially because this is a beginning of a connection for Bangara with this community. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel really privileged and special to be part of, part of that first, first relationship building and learning the dances and, you know, not everyone gets those opportunities. I feel like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty great. Like it's not always, I'm not always great. Like I feel like of life is not. always a roller coaster. Yeah. But you just got to keep pushing forward. And um, yeah, I feel like I, I'm a real, I have a real passion for movement and dance and music and that I really think that everyone needs to be doing it every day. In some sort of movement or art form for your mental health, you know? 
How's it been? Thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it and telling a little bit of your story and sharing with everyone. So yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for listening to Men in This Town, the podcast, produced by Mitwork and recorded at Pocket Studio in Sydney. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate and leave a review wherever you're listening. And as always, thanks for your support.